millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Black British Lives Matter, the podcast. I'm Lenny Henry. And I'm Marcus Ryder. This is the podcast where we explore why and how Black British Lives Matter, acknowledging and dealing with the racism we face, but wanting to go far deeper than that, exploring what it means to be black and British, our culture, our joy and our pain, and building on our book, Black British Lives Matter, available now in all good bookshops. Marcus, what are we doing today? Well, Lenny, I have to come clean. I've been doing a little extracurricular work, and while you're busy being a hobbit in Lord of the Rings, saving Middle-earth, I recorded a podcast episode by myself. Strictly speaking, I'm not a hobbit, I'm a half-foot, a nomadic predecessor to hobbits, but I feel we digress. Tell me about the episode you recorded without me, and hurry up. I obviously missed you, but I have to confess again, my second confession, it was a pretty cool podcast. It was all about Black British Fathers Matter. Three black men talking about the trials and tribulations of being a black father in Britain today. I hear you. So who were the guests? I had two amazing guests. First, I had the award-winning actor, star of stage and screen, Mickey Stone in the TV series Hustle, and all-round good guy, Adrian Lester, father of two daughters. Oh. <laughs> and I also spoke with the fantastic Marvin Harrison, the founder of Dope Black Dads, a brilliant organisation set up to counter the negative narratives around black fathers as well as offering support to black men to be better fathers. He is also the father of two small children. I thought you said you had three black fathers on the podcast. Who was the third? Me, me, obviously. I'm the third black father. We must have run out of money or something. <laughs> so how did it go? I'd just like to say that having me on is not just running out of money. I'm a proud father of a small black boy, thank you very much. Oh, I know, I know. So how did it actually go? It was one of the best and refreshing conversations I've had in years. But don't take my word for it. Take a listen. Marvin Harrison, founder of Dope Black Dads, father of two children. Adrian Lester, CBE, award-winning actor extraordinaire, father of two daughters. Welcome to the Black British Lives Matter podcast. Thank I you. want to start with you, Marvin. Um, why did you feel the need to set up Dope Black Dads? And tell me a little bit about Dope Black Dads. So Dope Black Dads is a community-led group uh, as far as in 2018, um, to be completely honest, it, it started because I was sad and confused as uh, a father. I didn't understand what this whole thing was. And my whole life, I was like really aspirationally leaning into fatherhood and being like, I cannot wait to play that role in someone's life one day. Um, I had so much enthusiasm for it. But when it happened, you know, there was moments where I was like, this is the best thing ever and I get it. But largely, I was kind of confused and like not quite sure why does it not feel as complete as I'd imagined. Um, and I had to go back um, to the drawing board, really. And, I, and the first thing I did was to start and ask other black men about what it is that they're doing in their families, their lives. But the key thing is they had to be, like, highly functioning and they had to be doing something because, you know, I'm very, very busy and that's a part of it. I'm mission-focused. Um, all my time is taken out of what I do. But, like, I really prioritised everything to do with fatherhood and being a good husband 
And it was just difficult. So that's why we created the group. But very quickly, I realized that this is a very common theme and none of us knew what we were doing. We were all kind of just smiling and, and, and sh- shuddering along and hoping it would get better <laughs> one day. And I wanted to be really intentional about what happened for us. Um, and so bringing those men together and then launching a South Africa version and a US version and, you know, standing next to really important topics like domestic violence and like mental health and suicide and, you know, racial equality. We just became a group of people that were trying to improve the world um, one step at a time. Um, and it's been a really incredible four years, to be honest. But the fatherhood was obviously essential to to everything that you're doing, though. I mean, in terms of the mental health, in terms of... Yeah, it's, look, I, I, and I, I feel like men have been outside of communi- our community for last parts. And when I say that, I don't necessarily just mean in terms of being absent or anything. I just mean emotionally, mentally. Like, how involved are we? How aware are we of the details that happen in our families and our wider communities? And it's something that, that mothers had just not had been doing. Um, and, if, you know, if you go to a mom and say, what's the, the shoe size of our children? They'll, they'll tell you. Uh, and sometimes we're just slightly disconnected and uh, it, it, it does create greater challenges down the line. So I want more men comfortable inside our families, not just there as a, as a vacuous being. I want us to be present and, and active and loving. Adrian, I asked Marvin on because in, in many onto the podcast on Black British Fathers Matter, because in many ways he's an obvious choice. He's got, um, he's founder of and he's running dope black dads Mm -hmm. but i'm curious i mean we've known each other for years uh and so i'm curious as to it's going to sound a bizarre question why you actually agreed to be on this podcast um (laughs) you know why is talking about black fathers and black fatherhood important to you uh well firstly i can't say no to you i don't know why um you're just full of so much positive energy and you're doing so much i haven't met anyone who's doing as much as you in so many different fields um so when you when you ask can you help me with this yes yes whatever yeah i love i love the way you put on the high-pitched voice when you imitate (laughs) thanks thanks, yeah sorry sorry when marcus comes to you please sir he says will you help me with this um Yes, I think that, that these discussions are important. I was once doing a chat uh, at the RSC about Shakespeare and character and how Shakespeare is unique in so many ways in, in the way he treats character. And that's why he's lasted so long. His writing has lasted so long. And then inevitably, as with all chats, very politely, the subject of skin colour comes up in perception for the audience. And what's, what has that been like, you know, through your career? People keep saying, you're the first uh, black person to, nah, nah, nah. you're the first black person to sing this. You're the first black person. And just start getting like, bored. Um, and I talked about being a dad. And I said that when I take my children to school in the morning, um, when, they're, when they were small and I'm walking them up the road and holding their hands, it seemed to be, I didn't, I think it was quite, quite a simple thing to say, but it seemed to be quite provocative at the time. I said, it's just these are children, they're mine. I love them. I am taking them to school. I said, when you add society and perception, that's when it becomes a rocky road and it becomes tricky and you have to go, go into all sorts of, of um, explanations. And I said, if I was in Jamaica, if I was in Nigeria, if I was in, you know, any other populated city that was populated majorly by black people, and I was taking my kids to school in the morning, as all those dads and moms do, they're not going, oh, I'm a black woman taking my kids to school. Because in the society that they're in, they're just a woman taking their kids to school. And I said this at this um, chat, and I met somebody afterwards who came up to me and said, that was quite a, a, 
a sort of a provocative thing you said. He said, I texted two of my friends, African-American friends in, a, in, in America and told them that you'd said this. And said, they were really angry and said, of course, I'm taking my kids to school as a black man. And I, and I went, do you know, that's not part of your, that's not the pure relationship you have with them. It's when you think about the outside world, as soon as you introduce the outside world and their perceptions of what you should be or shouldn't be, or the roles you play or not, or so on, that's when it becomes racial and gender and everything. And also how, how you want them to grow in that society. You are aware of how society will perceive them. And that is also racialized and gender specific. So for growing up, my, my family um, felt it was really important that I connected with, with Jamaica, with a black majority country. So I would go back quite, quite regularly to Jamaica. As, as fathers, do you, did you have a similar issue about making sure your children went back to black majority countries or were not always my, minoritized? Or was that not, not an issue for, for either of you? It wasn't an issue, uh, but I did think that, you know, we went to India where my wife's from um, when the kids were small and we're hoping to go again at some point. And then we went to Jamaica when the kids were small too. We just wanted them to have that experience as part of their upbringing, to, to go go to the, to the country that's the heritage bloodline of their parents. Um, and they did and they, you know, still remember it and they enjoyed it and, and so on. Um but as far as, I mean, looking at that point you made, Marvin, about do I need to be here? Um, I, I, I suppose it's what do you regard as as yours, as home, as as your place? And and for me, that's very much Britain. Um, and for my kids, it is too. I see it so much more in them. I sort of brought them up thinking they're going to have to, you know, engage in the certain discussions and things that I had to put up with. And they're they're way beyond that now. They're so far beyond that. Okay, I want to um, move on. We're talking about racialized spaces, so I want to address some of the mm -hmm. racialized, you know, I'm going to, well, I'll say it, negativity um, that we sometimes receive as black men and black fathers head on. So in 2008, um, David Cameron, then Prime Minister, famously talked about absent black fathers and the need for us to, quote, meet our responsibilities or as he would say, meet their responsibilities, you know, as if we're not meeting our responsibilities. And more recently in 2019, Tony Sewell said absent fathers, quote, fuel gang violence. Um, what do you think of these kind of statements? You know, are, is there any truth in them? I'd, yeah, I'd be really curious when you hear prime ministers, when you hear government advisors um, talking about black fathers in this way, I'd be curious as to... I've, I've had the honour of going toe-to-toe with Tony Sewell on a couple of occasions um, because of those statements. And, and look, in, inherently, my view of someone like him is people need to get funding for their projects, and so they create narratives <laughs> to receive funding. And it, it, it's not evidence-based, and it does not particularly helpful, and it doesn't come with the consent of the majority of the community that you aim to be serving. Um, and so it makes people like that very problematic, but they exist. Um, they're usually used as a tool to communicate particular messages. Um, but I think the most important thing is, and this is why, again, for us being on the ground every day, um, you know, collecting fathers and sharing our experiences, that element of like almost group therapy, as it were, like an un unstructured group therapy of co and a collective experience does more than all of those messages and whatever programs you can design in your mind 
And, and that collective harmony, you know, gives people connection. It gives people a shared experience. It gives them license and permission to try new ideas about what it is that um, we're all trying to do. So when I listen to them with those headlines, I already know that there is a greater agenda in those messages. Because if you cared on the on on those those challenges, you would fix the things that constantly impact us the most, or you would invest in changing those policies, procedures, and those laws that impact us the most. Um, and actually listen to what the community is experiencing, rather than identify one individual to speak on their behalf, which is usually at the cost of you know our families, which is what is most important. Mm-hmm. So and usually at the cost of common sense as well. So what I'm understanding from you, Marvin, is you're saying that if you, instead of blaming black fathers, if there are any problems with with fatherhood, we need to look at what's causing those problems and solve the problems as opposed to focusing on what's wrong with with black fathers. Yeah, I believe in a degree of self-determination and ownership. Like, you know, I I see life as a game or an assault course, depending on black people's probably an assault course. And so the assault course is your job to run the assault course and the task is going to get more harder and complicated and you have to prepare yourself as much as possible. But what happens is, is that when you then start to design shifts in the assault course that specifically make it harder, um, or when, you know, we start buying houses now because we figured out that that's a really important way for generational wealth. You start changing the rules around tax and ownership of your house. And, you know, that, that has a massive impact on us because generationally families have already advanced heavily in those areas. And now we're just starting to do that. And now all of a sudden, you know, you change the tax rules around it. It, it those things set us back specifically because it impacts us more. And, and I, and I think again, we have to find a now a new piece of information of how to navigate the world and provide for our children on top of now we have the cost of living crisis which impacts black people significantly more because of the types of work that we do and the level of work that we do in this society and you know we're, we're getting the full brunt of it same thing as covid same thing as george floyd it's just a constant and, and i think what ends up happening is it, it it does break people not everybody can navigate them over and over again some people it does impact them greatly and and some people don't return sometimes it can be you know people's health sometimes it can be mental health you know, it's constant challenges. And I think this is why I say no, nowhere that you call home should create this much challenge for you. It's not a home if it causes this much challenge for you. And so my answer is to create a home within myself and I can take myself anywhere. But fundamentally, I want to be surrounded by a much more loving and forgiving environment. What about you, Adrian? When you hear those kind of statements, they said from the former prime minister, Tony Saul, government advisor, how do you feel? Does it impact you emotionally? Just think, oh, it's just nonsense. I, I, yeah, I'm pretty curious as to how. I, I hear nonsense. I hear nonsense because, um, firstly, you know, absent fathers are fueling gang violence. I'm thinking to myself, what are all these dads leaving home and joining gangs? What's going on? How are they fueling? <laughs> are they being absent because they're in a gang? What? What? Um, it, it's just it's it, it's 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 silly, really. And then you know, facing up to your responsibilities. Okay, my responsibilities are to make sure that my kids are healthy and happy. All right. And I will, I will answer this as, as the targeted demographic, you know, the male, male black dad. Um, uh, so, so if my responsibility is to make sure that society is good to my children, then I will go to school and I will talk about the type of education they're getting because they're not learning about themselves or their history. But that's not the responsibility that they're talking about. No, don't change that, please. Just deal with your responsibilities. Okay, well, what if I deal with the responsibility that I have that when my teenage children leave the house, I'm wondering how they're looked at by the police. I'm wondering how they're judged. 
by people in, in the, in the system. And I want to change that. And then again, no, no, don't change that. Not that responsibility. No, please do the other one. You go, well, what other one? Uh, let's talk about this. Okay. How about making the streets safer for my children to walk home at night when they're coming home from a bar or a club or whatever? Let's talk about lighting. Let's talk about how much money we're spending here. How many people are, how many policemen are on the beat? No, 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 not that responsibility. We're talking about the other one. So wherever you go to sort of go, we, we are actively. <laughs> making society better when we talk about percentage when we talk about representation in the media when we talk about how these young people when they look at their phone when they look at the cinema screen when they look at the tv screen what reflects them how is it reflected what can they believe in what idols do they have and society will look at us and say um no not those responsibilities could you please look at the other ones (laughs) we are being responsible I love that answer, man. So, yeah, be a responsible dad, but just responsible in the way we want you to be responsible. It doesn't <laughs> yeah, actually yeah. challenge us in, in any way yeah, whatsoever. Don't challenge yeah. any mistakes we're making anywhere else. Just kind yeah. of just gen- generally be generalized responsible. Stay in your responsible box as long as you don't. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to remember that one, man. Okay. In the book that um, Lenny and I um, co-edited, Black British Lives Matter, we had a chapter mm. by... Baroness Doreen Lawrence on Black British Mothers Matter and another chapter by the writer Colin Grant on Black British Fathers Matter. They were very different. Right? And obviously I'd recommend everybody to run out and buy a copy right now, read them. But fundamentally they were both talking about parenting. Do you think there's a difference between black fathers and black mothers or are we just talking about parenting? If I jump in straight away and say that Please. that both my kids are now 21 and 18 and depending on who your child is and what, how they perceive themselves in the world, there is a difference. If you're bringing up a young man or you're bringing up a young woman, there's a difference. And then as parents who are one male, one female, you have different strengths in that arena and they show themselves. And I'm sure for every combination of every family with every combination of child, there, there are different strengths and weaknesses. But for me, I do see a difference when I'm with my nephew, who is, you know, young man of 11. And when I was with my daughter, young girl of 11, the, the world treats them differently. And therefore, I have different sort of a different skill set to bring to their understanding of their place in the world and their own insecurities. Yeah. Marvin. You've you've got one of you've got a boy and a girl. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm curious if you can jump in on that. Yeah. No. I, and I think there's something about um, you have to really identify who they are first, um, and that's very similar to what you're saying in terms of they actually are fundamentally different. And, and I remember mm. having my son and sitting there being like, I feel a bit concerned about having another child because like, how do you top this? He's like smart, injured, you know. You get these like going <laughs> all these superlatives. It's like, and you, see, you secretly speak to your wife you're like, oh, what, what if they're not as smart? What if they're? Busy? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I've done really well here. I don't want to ruin it. And um, you know, my, oh, you, my you rolled the dice and got the double six once, man. You know, you don't <laughs> it's know. Just like, I don't want to roll again. Can I just take my money and leave? Um, and so when my daughter came, she was everything he wasn't, but in the best way possible. And it was, it almost blew my mind that someone could be as different, but as amazing. And it, and it completely changed the way that I view children, to be completely honest. And I really realized that then I don't, but they don't belong to me. They are really people before because inherently when you have one, that, that is the blueprint. That's all you know. So you think, oh yeah, I'm going to raise this boy and he mirrors me and, you know, but then when your daughter comes and rejects the fundamental ways that you communicate <laughs> and the way that you interact, 
but in the most loving and powerful way ever. And you cannot. It's going to keep her. happening, Marvin. It's going to keep yeah, happening. This is what I'm saying. So, like, I realized that actually they're on the. They all she she was somebody at birth, and I just have to sit there and listen to her and guide her and navigate yes, her. Exactly, so it changed exactly. my way of parenting, seeing male female dynamics, mum and dad dynamics, and and children dynamics. And um and now I'm I'm a lot more relaxed about it. And I let her come to me with the things that she needs. And then I share, I share all I teach her is the core like values of like existing, like brushing your teeth and eating and what's healthy food and what's unhealthy food. But I don't tell mm. her what to do, you mm. know? And, and it's like, you know, like this is the bedtime. It's probably as deep as it gets. But in reality, my whole thing to them is I sell them rest as a value add. Like you rest and then you're better tomorrow. So like, I don't even talk about like go to bed. I'm saying like it's rest time. And it's like <sighs> seven, that's such a good idea. Yeah, just shaping the narratives. And I, and I think that's something that I've had to get better at because, you know, they'll just be like, no, I'm fine. Or I'm like, I want to do this with you. And then how do you, well, you know, you can't just keep saying no and do it because I said, you genuinely have to invite them into the benefits for them, for why mm-hmm. things are happening. And, and they're so different from my son and daughter. And yeah. I think whether you're, whether you're same-sex parents or not, or you're whatever you, your children are, as you said, Marvin, you have to find out who they want to be. But there are all sorts of, you know, nuggets of information that we have from our own experience that, that we can share with our kids. And then, then that, that, the golden rule, I think, is that they are their own people. And, uh, yes, you have to sort of... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I didn't realize that. One thing you said, Marvin, with regards to setting a new dynamic when you're saying it hasn't been done before with regards to, to co-parenting. I want to talk about slavery. We can't have come in and talk about um, fatherhood and being black and slavery always comes up. So here we go. When it comes to, to fatherhood, you know, do you think that there is a legacy of slavery in how we parent, what we think of the family unit? You know, that was definitely raised and I'm trying to sell a book here. So that was raised in the, in the essay, Black British Fathers Matter, they talked about slavery, in the, or Colin talked about slavery in, in that essay. So I'd be curious as to whether you've ever thought about our colonial history, uh, um, the impact of slavery. No, it, 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 there definitely is a connection, and it's gone unchallenged for so many generations that it's been lost as to what the original reason for these things were. And even in our language, and, and why homophobia is such a huge thing, and what used to happen... Um, in, in slavery and, and, and then things like uh, motherfucker, sorry for sorry, motherfucker, what that actually, the genesis of what that was and how they used to humiliate 
um, mothers and make their children have sex with them in the middle of in public spaces. Those those things have a legend, uh, a legacy in terms of language we use, how we feel about particular things, how we our pride has become almost commoditized in our community because it's the one thing that we could hold on to. And then all of those things shape our way of being and, and stop us being fully free in terms of the choices that we make. There's a lot of programming that goes into our survival that comes out now as just a negative because the I'll say the war is over, but the war is not what it once was. And we're still doing land war when people are doing drones and we're and we're still fighting on the ground in a in in, in like there's no other army out here. But really there is, but it's just not visible in the same way. And I think you know, this is why I say healing is a really important thing. I'm trying to repair generational curses. You know, I'm the first one to go to university. Uh, I was the first one to buy a house. I was the first one to get married. All these firsts that are happening, I'm 38 years old and I'm the first in my family and living memory to be able to do those things. Adrian, I'm sure there are people that would say that harking back to slavery, we're just making excuses and, and what have you, but I'd be curious as to what your perspective, if you have a perspective on um, the legacy of slavery on our family units on fatherhood i th- i think mark marvin has just covered it all really i mean it's it's about the trickle down effect of things that we've even forgotten why they were created you know there are slurs and terms and attitudes that um belonged to a time that um no longer exists but it's it's a legacy it's 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 there i mean you look at tracing a a, a tudor house tra- tracing a house through history you know as david does and you don't get too far in Britain with a nice, big, lovely house before there's some context that leads it to the selling and buying and trafficking in humans. There's the, it's all over this country. You can't become an empire without the idea implicit in your upbringing, implicit in your education, that you have the right to subjugate another race, another culture. You can't become an empire without that idea. So although Britain is no longer an empire, the idea and what, 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 what makes what some people think makes Britain great is that idea, the idea that we're better than everybody else. And so therefore they don't matter as much. And this is as soon as you bring that in, you bring society into the relationship between mother and child, father and child. And these trickle down effects, they, they, they do happen. They, they, they take place. Yeah. Marvin, you've already commented about whether Britain is the place that you want to be. But if you took your children, let's say, to Antigua, as you just um, have a connection there, or as my, my connection is to Jamaica and my wife is Kenyan, so whether it's Nairobi or whatever, can you protect your children against racism? We live in a racist society. Mm. And so can you protect your children against racism no, if you're in Britain? No, can you, you protect can't. them if you... If you, if you and, yeah, so what do we do? It, it permeates everywhere. And like, look, I think most black people I know have a added forward slash and asterisk by their names to be like, what else do I do that advances blackness? None of us just do a job and go home. There's always this sort of thing of like, oh, and I also participate in this community organization that helps black people advance in this particular way. And that's just a Pretty part of black our, dads. Yeah, you just, you just like have to. And it's almost like, you know, you, you, you don't realize how much impact that has, how much extra time, how much extra work stress that is on someone to to take on those big tasks and I think both of you have done similar things so for, for me I think it's like you it, it permeates everywhere globally um, and it will impact you wherever you are because in Antigua there's this tiny area called English Harbour which is fundamentally white and British and uh, class is a massive er- um, uh, thing at play there to, to uh, Barbuda has just been acquired by a whole bunch of people who are 
you know, turning it into a billionaire island and investing heavily into it. And that will exclude more black people. So that race class intersect will constantly be at play. But you need to be able to find a piece in your version of it. Um, yes, we continually try to break those things down. But if you don't day to day have joy and peace in your life, it doesn't matter what change you think you're doing. It cannot be at the cost of you as an individual or your family. It's an and, but positive and. It cannot subtract from, you know, your desire to want to live and, and, and be joyful every day. Adrian, just to remind you that it's a podcast, so no one actually saw you, saw you shaking your head when <laughs> when I said, can you protect your children from racism? Um, no, yes, I shook my head, everyone. <laughs> should, yeah, exactly. Um, but you must want, I mean, you want to protect your, it's just natural, you want to protect your children. So how do you well, deal then, with that? That's, that's the responsibility, that goes back to the responsibility. One of your responsibilities, make sure they're healthy, yes, body and mind. Um, and the education they receive, but you also one of your responsibilities is to, is to protect them. So you look out at what what can endanger them in society, and if there's a problem, you kind of you focus on it. You I, you can't protect your kids from from racism. You can't protect them from sexism. You can just protect them in that teach them how to deal with it in every circumstance. Give them the confidence, the wherewithal, the knowledge to know that you know this is what you do in this situation. And then they come up with their own and then they're sharing it with friends and then they're talking. When I was at school, one of the things that made you cool was the way in which you could be racist and put people down and the way in which you could be sexist and put people... I could see kids do this all the time and then other kids would laugh and go, it was cool. It was the 80s. With my children, the one thing that would remove any per, any popular person from any friendship group, the, the, the things that, they, that you can do to guarantee your fall and your disappearance from a friendship group is to be homophobic or racist. It's changed. That's, it's changed that much. That's, that's a really positive change. Now, we've talked about you both being fathers and your role as fathers, and we've talked about your children, but I'm curious about your relationship with your respective fathers and how that might have informed your approach to, to fatherhood. So I'm going to pick on Marvin first. Uh, my, my relationship is, um, is, is great in the sense that I feel that there's also a gift in having an absent father if he, if he didn't have anything to offer. And, and I, want to be, I want to say it in the most powerful way possible because sometimes we talk about a man just being there and he, dad should be active and he should do this. And it's like, well... Not, not if it comes at the cost of your family unit, not if it comes at the cost of your children. And I think inherently my, my father just didn't have much to offer and everything I've heard about him from every testimony, plus my experience of him directly, indicates that that probably is true. There probably is something now in learning just who he was that would bring me a lot of peace and that conversation would definitely happen. But he wasn't active beyond me being a year and a half and when he was active and present, I don't think it was the best contribution. So, you know... I, I have a very good understanding of what I didn't want to be as a father. I wish I had the example of who I wanted to be because that's a completely different set of being compared to like avoiding stuff. And um, that that's the one thing I probably do a part of me mourns. Just like, I, you know, I'd love to have a man who's like 65 and just wise who can, who can help me navigate my life as it is today. He may not even understand the work I do or, you know, where I'm at in my life, but just some core principles of being would be incredibly of value to me as a person right now. Um, so I, you know, I, I will one day reach out. Well, whenever I find him next, I've already decided that I'll reach out and have 
um, conversation because I need to know. I don't, I don't even know how many brothers and sisters he has. Like th- these core basic things, I don't even know. I don't know which part of Jamaica he was born in, um, and it's accessible. So as soon as possible, those things will help me with a picture of who I am and, and bring me a lot of peace. And what about you, Adrian? How does your relationship um, with your father inform how you father now? Um, my dad was at home until I was about nine. And then the relationship broke up and then he left. And even when he left, I'd spend summer holidays with him. And um, he had a new partner and had a new place to live in London. And um, then, I mean, my dad is now, has now passed on, he's now, he's now dead. But um, I, I remember that, I, I remember sort of a, a lack of, a lack of contribution to the sort of family setup. And when I think back to him, people talk about absent fathers and stuff. He wasn't, he was and he wasn't kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I knew him. I knew where he was. I knew where he did, when he left, I knew where he was. Um, uh, but uh, then in society and, and, and for my father's previous generation, the men were supposed to, there was this label that men were supposed to bring stuff in and, you know, keep the lights on and keep the roof over their head. And they were supposed to do this. But then you're in a world where the percentage chance of you getting a job and holding on to the job, last in, first out, the way you were looked upon in society, you, was, you were just like, society, society crushed you. And then you were supposed to go home and deliver stuff that you'd got from this, from this stone, from this rock. Um, and it, it, it was very, very hard. And a lot of, I think that brought a lot of tension and a lot of... Um, uh, uh, there was a disconnect between who many men wanted to be and who society told them they were. And, and that, that I think was quite hard to swallow for a lot of, um, immigrant fathers. And so my, my, you know, I, I kind of, at least I have some kind of understanding of that through my grandfather and my relationship with him, who has now passed on. But, um, when it came to me being a dad, I suppose, I suppose with every parent, really, you want to provide for your kids the thing that you remember as a child not having. So, well, so I, I, I know that with my children when they were young, I instinctively offered and said, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. Things that I knew I, wa- I wanted when I was a kid that I couldn't get. And so you offer it to your child. But your child, all the love and consideration and so on you give to your child, you prepare this world for them and they do the most the most annoying thing they they get used to it they they take everything that you think is special and you've worked really hard for and you lay out and you've laid out for years in front of them and they go oh yeah this is life and you keep wanting to go it's not life it's hard and they're just looking at me yeah but i've always had it i had my own room since i was four why are you being so (laughs) not everyone has their own room (laughs) Isn't it just normal to have like an, an award-winning f- actor as a father who, you know, just is internationally renowned? You know, that's just, that's just normal, oh, li- man. Listen, I was reading a story to my daughter. She was about seven and I was reading a story and I was getting carried away with the voices. And then the, and then the antelope went, and then the, and then the dog went, and, you know, at one point, and I was just reading different accents and just trying to make it as fun as possible. And my daughter, no one knows this. So this is just between us three, okay? My daughter looked at me and she, she put her hand on my mouth and she went, Daddy, stop. Daddy, stop. <laughs> as if to say, as if to say, said, Daddy, read it properly. I felt like I was in an audition getting notes from a director. Sorry, Marvin, you were saying. No, I was going to say, I quite like the fact that my children do not care what I do. 
And I've just I've just broken it down <laughs> to the fact that I help people around the world because anything else they're just like, eh. and it, so, so I'm taking them to South Africa tomorrow to literally show them the work that I've been doing because for two years I just go every six to eight weeks and then they're just like okay what what do you do there and I'll be like I'm helping people I do this but now I have to physically show them to justify my time away and it's happening mm. but they don't care and I like that yeah. and they listen to me on radio my daughter told me it's boring and I was like oh yeah I'm glad yeah. I'm doing that to you <laughs> Marvin um <laughs> Adrian's talked about your podcast and you said that your children find it boring. I know it's not boring (laughs) at all. It is a brilliant award-winning podcast. I'm curious as to tell us a little bit about your podcast about Mm. fatherhood. And uh, is there anything that you can share with us that has surprised you or you've learned um, since doing the podcast about being a father? Yeah, so when we started a group... Briefly, please, we're, we're running out of time. No, I, I, I got it. Started, yeah, that's a good point. Make, make it clear. Um, I, uh, when we started the, pod, the conversation in our WhatsApp group, we had 23 people, and then the conversation was so rich that we were like, I need to explain this to people, and we need more time than any of the interviews that we were getting would give us. And so the podcast, we came away just to say, take stuff from the group and explore it as a group. Um, and there was like three or four of us that would do the podcast, but it's taken on lots of different... Um, dimension since then sometimes we do more documentary styles sometimes we're just explaining things sometimes we're giving our opinion sometimes it's a group of men having a real honest conversation but inherently the whole point of it is just to be as close to the truth as people are comfortable going Um, and I think there's a very rare place to go where you can go and listen to black men talk about stuff um, really honestly so it's, it's done it's done really well better than we ever imagined um, and the key things that we've learned about it really are just that, that the complexities of being men, specifically black men, are, are broader than we ever understood. And there's a lot of emotional work that needs to be done. And there's a lot of um, uh, uh, personal development that needs to be challenged in terms of like how, what, what information were we given to be the kind of men that we want to be. And a lot of it has to become really intentional and conscious. So it's a hard work. It's hours and hours of practicing, getting it wrong, falling down, falling out with people, getting back to yourself, you know, all of those things. And I have a, a routine that is, you know, very much based on discipline and consistency, which allows me to, you know, be the best version of myself. But it took so much errors to get there that, you know, you want the next generation to not have to go through some of these violent exchanges to come on the other side and be uh, a, a man of note. Um, I mean, I absolutely love your your podcast. It reminds me of like the best, you know, Saturday soup conversations that you have, you know, with with other black men just just chatting. Sometimes it's can be trivial, and other times, even with, in the in the trivial, there's some real deep seated truths that that are coming out. You know, so it's it's beautiful. Um, and I'm not sure we're meant to do this. I'm not sure I'm meant to do it. But where can people find it? And yeah, so you can find it uh, anywhere wherever you get your podcast. Just type in Dope Black Dads. And um, yeah, you can find that same thing, all one word, on any social media platform. Also, we're on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, uh, and wherever you get your podcasts. I-, I love your Instagram feed, by the way. Ah, oh, thank you. It's, 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 it's great, man. All right. Last quick, and that was beautifully brief, thank you, because we have been overrunning, talking nonsense and, and laughing along the way. So, you know, I really appreciate that. And so I'm going to jump to the last question for both of you. Okay. All right. Are there any books um, that you would recommend to our listeners about Black Father? Marvin, you are definitely allowed to talk about your own book. And Adrian, I know you are a man, a cultured man, and so your references are broad and deep. So it doesn't need to be directly about 
um, Black Fatherhood. You can recommend a play by August Wilson or a poem by Langston yeah. Hughes. So please don't hesitate to go there. So Marvin first, what what should I, uh, podcast listeners, what should I be reading next? Yeah, I think um, my book and there is another and Your book one called, is called? Uh, it's called, uh, is that, so ironically, originally it was called Dope Black Dads, um, The Life Lessons of Black Fatherhood. But just before publishing, I decided to change the way that we're framing it. And I thought it'd be way more impactful and powerful to have a black male perspective for all dads. Um, and so I've opened it up and created more testimonies from different communities, but it's hosted by us um, talking to other fathers about what their experience is. And it's, it's out at the end of the year. Um, but I think one of the key things in terms of like when you're seeking is like, there's another book called by Bode uh, Adorinde, uh, who, who's called Black Fatherhood. And, and I think that's another really good insight into the black male experience. But those are my two co-signs. Anything else other than that, I think I'll be reaching. Obviously yours as well, and the chapter that you read, because I've actually read it, and it's very, very, very good. And I love Colin now as a result of reading that chapter. Yeah, no, Colin's, Colin's chapter on Black Fatherhood is, is great. And Colin's an amazing writer. Adrian, what should I be reading? What poems? I... Um... I come across poems all the time and I never remember them. But um, when, when I, uh, not too long after leaving drama school, I was in a play called Fences by August Wilson. And um, he's written a, you know, a play for every decade of, I think, Pittsburgh life um, to the, to, to up to the eighties. And uh, he, there's a, in Fences, there's a, there's a character called Troy Maxson, who's a dad and he's sort of a big bruiser and, quite powerful and strong and so on. But it's interesting because in that play, you, you see a dad who is very powerful in his house in terms of looking after his kid and his partner, but he lives in a world where society says that he, he is powerless and that dichotomy of and what that does to a person's psyche is, um, is explored in the play. And I always remember that in terms of fatherhood. I don't know why it's stuck in my head. There's a scene he has with his son talking about love and, you know, his son said, don't you love me? And his answer is brilliant. But I would recommend that play. Just, um, just read that play or still see the play if you can. Um, it's, it's quite a, it's, you know, August Wilson's writing is good and it's quite a searing sort of, um, dissection of, of, of the psyche of a man who is supposed to be powerful and is supposed to be strong, but society says you're not. It's, uh, I've seen, I've seen the play. Um, I didn't see haven't seen you in it. I'd love to have seen um, uh, you in, in Fences, but it's, it's an amazing play. I mean, August mm. Wilson is obviously a, a fantastic um, playwright. Um, but yeah, all right. I might actually revisit because I saw it before I was a father, so I might revisit it um, now as a father. So, mm. so yeah, okay, I'll do that. Are, are you going to go back in, into are you gonna go back into the play so we can watch it with you doing it? Can you have a word with someone? I'd love to see you. Yeah. Oh, I, I was, um, God, I was, I was 24. It was years ago. Okay. It was in the nineties. So it was, you know, before we sort of recorded things or anything like but, that. So I, I was, I played the son. So it was, um, a lot Adrian, that, now is the time to revisit it. That's As what I've been saying yeah. for you to play the As father, the <laughs> you know, that, that would, would be beautiful. It would be uh, interesting. Maybe one day that's one part I have thought, yeah, that would be good to play because oh. it's, it's a, monster of a part and it's brilliant it's brilliant it's brilliant yeah yeah 
No, I, I know a few theatre producers, Adrian, man. <laughs> you put a word in for me to play. I'll, I'll, I'll do my best, yeah. Troy okay. Max and Fences. <laughs> All right, Adrian, Marvin, thank you so much for joining us today and explaining thank exactly you, why and how Black British Fathers Matter. I've really enjoyed myself. Thank you. Um, I will go home tonight and give my son a big extra hug and expect him to ignore me and just say stop daddy stop (laughs) (laughs) i'm now told that's a good thing yes it's a good thing (laughs) okay (laughs) i really appreciate you both taking out the time so thank you both thank you it's been wonderful cheers marcus cheers man bye there you guys take care okay lenny you're a black british father (laughs) listening in on that episode tell me what you thought do you know something i wish someone had made that episode 20 years ago I think as black men and as fathers, we are all just trying to make sense of it all and trying to do the best we can. I honestly think the work Marvin is doing with Dope Black Dads is so important. I also love the way that Adrian turned the whole black fathers need to take more responsibility on its head. I always love listening to Adrian. Also, on a side note, I've been in the play Fences as well. Adrian was spot on when talking about the role of the father in that play. August Wilson is an amazing playwright. Lenny Henry and Adrian Lester in an August Wilson play. Mm. That would be amazing. We've got to make that happen. It's got to happen! Um, But before that happens, we need to record another podcast. Next week, we have Black British Music Matters, and trust me, it'll be a killer. We will have the godfather of British soul, Jazzy B, along with the queen of British soul, Beverly Knight, and my good friend and music aficionado, Carlton Dixon. This will not be a podcast you guys will want to miss. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.